Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Marketsmith. Today is July 15th, 2020. I'm your host, Arusha Paris, and today we have Kareem Durhali on the show. Kareem worked on Wall Street for 35 years, and his last role on Wall Street was as Global Head of Equity Trading at Deutsche Bank. Now he is the founder of the Investor App, and the Investor App is a really cool app centered around learning how to invest in the markets. Thanks for being here, Kareem. It's, uh, it's fantastic uh, to be with you. Thanks for having me on the show. On today's podcast, we are going to have Kareem for the first two segments, and we're going to talk about how he got started in the investment world, and then we will also talk about his cool new app, Investor. And then for the third segment, we are going to have Mike Webster, IBD's head of market strategy on the show. And Mike and I will talk about the current market and end the episode with three current stocks. Okay, so let's get into your history, Kareem. And why don't you walk us through how you got into investing and, and got up to that amazing level? So, I mean, it wasn't altogether obvious, actually. My mother came from a family of lawyers and she was very keen on me becoming a lawyer. Okay. And my father really thought I should become a doctor because he thought being a doctor was a universal skill that, you know, I could take anywhere I want. But I'm terrible with blood, uh, you know, <laughs> particularly my own, let alone other people's. And the thought of reading all of those books in a law library, you know, scared the hell out of me. So, um, you know, I've always had a, on a serious note, I've always had a, a fascination and a passion actually for international economics. I grew up in a very international oh. uh, surrounding. And so, you know, rather than being a lawyer or a doctor, international banking is, is what appealed to me. And that's, and that's where I started, you know, straight out of university, I got a job at JP Morgan. And okay. that was, you know, that was fantastic. But that's really how I, how I got into it. And uh, so, so now, when did you get into the JP Morgan? So they recruited me out of university. I had a I had an offer. My father worked for a, an oil company and I actually applied to Shell and they offered me a job mm. as an oil trader. Um, this is back uh, way back in 1983, so a long, long time ago. And they were actually paying me more money than I was going to earn in banking. But JP Morgan had the prospect of sending me off to New York uh, to work on Wall Street, get effectively get paid a really good wage at the time. It was a princely sum of you know, $25,000 back then was a, was a huge amount of money mm -hmm. and effectively to be taught an MBA by professors from Harvard, Cornell, uh, Columbia and NYU. So it was just an amazing experience as a, I was 20 years old at the time, you know, to be a young man, you know, earning a lot of money in New York, which is a, you know, absolutely amazing city, obviously. And it was just a great, uh, it was a great prospect. And, and JP Morgan is really a it's a world-class organization, and, and back then it was, you know, even more special, possibly than it is today. And and so this was a, uh, so at that point, you know, PCs weren't all over the place. So when when you were learning how to trade, it was more on the phones, talking to people, uh, things like that. So you're absolutely right. I think we got our first PC in 1985. So I started work in 1983. So it was kind of almost two years. Um, before we got our first PC. And up until that point, you know, we'd get the overnight runs from the VAX machines with our, you know, printouts, you know, literally paper printouts of our yeah. bond positions, and we'd scribble notes on them. I had a calculator, a bond calculator. I was trading bonds in those days. And I had a bond calculator to work out my, uh, you know, my, my bond yields and an HP 12C as well. Wow. So everything was done by, everything was done manually. 
Um, the other thing, uh, you know, uh, you know, back then trading, uh, particularly in the European markets in London, was a head-to-head -head, uh, trading uh, competition. So you were making markets to other professionals, and you had to be very, very quick to move from one, you know, to get liquidity uh, from the different banks. Um, so the competitive advantage was really in the number of uh, phone lines that you had with the other with the other banks. Wow, that's uh, I mean, there's always some kind of technological advantage out there, right? Now, right, this absolutely. was also during the time when you know hedge funds started to to come about, and and really. You, you were coming in at a time where the whole financial system was starting to dramatically change too. What, what did you see uh, during this time? Look, it was an absolutely fascinating time uh, to be involved in financial services. Between 1983 and 2008, financial services went through an absolutely remarkable evolution. Um, as you mentioned, we had the growth of the hedge fund industry, uh, we had uh, deregulation, uh, we had a massive increase in trading volumes, we had huge uh, product innovation, uh, and we had tremendous uh, geographical uh, expansion as well, all, all around the world. Mm -hmm. So it was, a, it was an absolutely fascinating time uh, to be involved in, in financial markets. And, and so now I would imagine that I guess being at JP Morgan, that also enabled you to go and travel the world and, and be able to go and take a look at other markets around the globe. Yeah, look, I, I was very, very lucky. I'd, uh, I'd grown up uh, obviously in Europe and the Middle East. Uh, and with JP Morgan, I you know, uh, got to live and, and work in New York. Uh, they sent me off first off to Japan. Uh, so I was in Japan right at the peak in 1989. Nikkei was at 38,000. So it was a fascinating time to be in Japan. Uh, I also got to go and uh, live in, in Singapore. Uh, I was in Singapore in 1990 and then back to New York. And, and so I got to live um, and work uh, all over the world. And subsequently, in the roles uh, that I had later, uh, I was global head of commodities, global head of emerging markets, global head of equity trading. I got to travel, you know, to Latin America, to Asia, uh, really uh, all over the uh, Eastern Europe, all over the world. So the cultural uh, exposure that I got was absolutely tremendous. And, and, and you also had a, 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 an opportunity to participate uh, in, in the Russian debt crisis too, right? When, when was that? That was like in the, the late 90s? So that was in uh, 1998. Okay. Really, really interesting episode. I guess I got involved in Russia uh, starting in about 1994. Uh, interest rates were a thousand percent, and uh, it really was uh, not quite the Wild West, but the Wild East. Um, you know, when I first went to when I first went to Moscow, uh, there were no uh, no neon signs anywhere. Uh, it was uh, really a very very uh, unspoiled in, at some level, very unspoiled, very undeveloped. And it's really quite remarkable uh, the evolution that Russia went through after that. So we got involved, heavily involved, as probably one of the pioneers in the Russian markets, uh, got involved in Russia in the early days, um, negotiated with the central bank, Ministry of Finance. Uh, there was a fantastic deal in um, early 96 
when President Yeltsin was trying to persuade, he was up for election, and he was trying to persuade the domestic electorate that he was quite popular in the West. So he, he actually uh, mandated Merrill Lynch to raise $6 billion for him. And so we, we had this tremendous mandate. We worked uh, with the prime minister's office wow. uh, and, did some, and did some fantastic things. And so we were really quite well positioned in, uh, in Russia uh, all the way up until you know, the, the crisis in, in 98 and the default in August uh, 98. Uh, now, fortunately, because we were, uh, we had well, we were well connected, uh, I got to see the, the, the crisis coming. And so we were really well positioned, unlike, you know, many of our competitors at the time, I was at Lehman Brothers. Mm-hmm. And we were really well positioned uh, to see the crisis. And so we actually went into the crisis actually short uh, Russian credit, uh, which, worked out, which worked out really well. Um, but we had a massive book. We were about 10% of the Russian market. We had billions of uh, dollars worth of uh, bonds on our books and huge exposures uh, to the Russian banking system. And uh, unfortunately, in unwinding some of those exposures, uh, we ended up closing down three of the Russian banks. And closing down a Russian bank is not something that you do advisedly. Uh, we, had, uh, we, had, uh, we had threats, actually. I stayed out, had to stay out of Moscow for quite some period of time. Um, and uh, we also, I also <laughs> made the mistake of putting um, the Russian government into default. Uh, we had to. We got some r- rather angry calls from them. We had to. We had to reverse that. So it was an absolutely fascinating period of time. But because we were so heavily exposed in the Russian markets, the Russian government asked me to be involved in their so-called credit um, advi- debt advisory committee, which was really just a creditors committee. And that was an absolutely fascinating time. You know, a few years prior, I'd been pleading with them to allow foreign capital into Russia. Mm. And now I found myself in the exact opposite position of trying to plead with them and negotiate to get capital out of the country. Wow. Um, it was an absolutely fascinating experience that the debt renegotiations, 98, uh, late 98, 99, in the end, you know, we made a small fortune out of it. Uh, because interest, domestic interest rates at the time I was trading, you know, government bonds, domestic interest rates were uh, around 250%. And I managed to persuade all of our other creditors that if we were going to be stuck in Russia, because the Russians weren't going to make it easy for us to take our money out of the country. So if we were going to be stuck in Russia, we'd rather have uh, ruble debt at 250% than some inferior subordinated dollar bond with a much lower, lower yield. So we restructured the Russian debt in rubles into, into new ruble bonds. And then I got massively long the yield curve, bought all these bonds at 250%, yields collapsed. And we made, I think back in 99, we made about $300 million, which you know even today is a decent amount of money. Back then it was, it was a huge amount of money. Yeah. And in the first three months of uh, 2000, made an additional $200 million. So it was, a, it was a fascinating experience at a professional level going through the crisis. Uh, it was also a, a fascinating experience at a personal level. I mean, I was, I was a lot younger uh, back then, obviously, 22 years younger. And I'm not sure I would have been quite as brave with some of the decisions and quite as brazen in terms of taking on the Russian banks and the Russian government and you know, various, um, you know, various other power structures within Russia, in, including some you know, security services. So we got into some, into some interesting situations. And I was warned off quite a few times, but you know, carried on going. 
and uh, you know really enjoyed the experience. I've been back involved in in Russia, you know, since it's a it's an absolutely fascinating country. Fantastic people, incredibly well educated people, incredible cultural, music, uh, scientific uh, history. Um, but really, quite a, an eye-opening experience for a young man uh, in in the financial markets, and that really gave me a great um, uh, a feel for enjoyment, appreciation of emerging markets. I mean, you know, it wasn't just Russia. I mean, obviously, the other the other markets we were involved in were throughout Eastern Europe. Uh, you know, the new you know, Poland, Czech, Slovak, Hungary, Turkey, Romania, Bulgaria, South Africa. Um, you know. Uh, all these all these markets were were emerging from the post communist period and to see the transformation at first hand not just in the capital markets but even at a human level in you know societal level and the way the economies evolved was really um, it was it was a frankly it was a privilege to be involved uh, in those markets and later on in my career when I was involved in in commodities obviously there are a lot of commodities in emerging markets I managed to go back. Uh, to many of those countries, obviously got then more involved, not just in Eastern Europe, um, but in Asia as well, and in Latin America as well. So I've, I mean, I've been very, very lucky in terms of the, the banking experience I've had, but the cultural experiences I've had as well. Um, if you think about it from a market point of view, I mean, it'll shock you. When I started work in 1983, the S&P was at 135. So it was... I mean, I, I mean, I wish obviously hindsight is an astonishing thing. You know, yeah. we've rallied 25 fold, you know, since then. And interest rates, I think 10 year bonds were somewhere around 14%. Um, and so you think about, you know, what's happened in the, in the world since then. I mean, just the, the, the incredible growth in financial markets um, and, in, and also in financial asset prices. It's been it's been an absolutely astonishing journey. I'm I'm very very you know privileged to have experienced it all. And and during this time, what did uh, you know just your experience in investing? What did that uh, teach you about emotions in investing? Because one thing that you know a lot of uh, you know when I went through my finance courses and and things like that and learning from a lot of professors is we were always taught about efficient markets and and things like that. What did the real life experience, especially in these really uh, dramatic changes and volatile markets, what did that teach you about emotions and efficient markets? Uh, it's quite interesting. I studied economics at university. I was at Oxford and studied economics. And um, and I, you know, you learn one of the first things you learn is about you know demand and supply curves, and mm -hmm. that demand is um, is high when the price is low, and you know supply is. Uh, um, is low uh, when the price is low. And so you draw these demand and supply curves. And what I would do uh, with new students joining, I remember a particular at JP Morgan, I, I would draw these classic charts for them. And then I would scribble out the S and the D and, and reverse them. Because what you learn about markets is that when prices go up, demand doesn't fall, demand increases. And when prices go down, demand doesn't increase, uh, demand decreases. So humans operate in exactly the opposite way to what a classical economist would tell you. And the nonsense about you know, efficient market theory, yes, you know, markets might be efficient in, in the long run, but obviously, you know, as Kane said, we're, we're all dead in the long run. What, makes, what keeps markets efficient is the interaction of buyers and sellers. So the, the opportunities, some of the opportunities in markets are the massive inefficiencies that exist 
Um, you know, for, I mean, uh, and, and that is driven not by fundamentals, uh, but it's driven by human perceptions of fundamentals. So, you know, why was the S&P at 2100 just a few months ago and why is it at 3200 today? I mean, it's, a, it's almost a 50% um, increase that we've had. Uh, and, and the world hasn't changed fundamentally. I mean, the perceptions of what is going to happen in the future uh, have, have changed. So one of the, you know, one of my lessons, I think you're, you're spot on, Arusha, about, you know, emotional, uh, em human emotions. And one of the, you know, the big, you know, big lessons I have, one of my big takeaways is that even a baby is equipped to be an investor because fundamentally markets go up and down and they go up and down on the back of human emotions and babies understand up and down and they understand from birth human emotions. And so I, you know, it's one of my big beliefs that we're all naturally equipped to be investors. Uh, and because we, un, you know, because investing at the end of the day in financial markets at the end of the day, yes, computers are involved and all kinds of other things are involved, but fundamentally they're about people and it's about the interaction of people and people's perceptions and people's emotions. Those are the things that really drive uh, financial markets. Oh, that's perfect. So let's take a quick break. But when we return, we're going to talk about how Kareem has taken this experience as 35 years of experience in all of these different places around the world and has incorporated it into his new investor app. So stay tuned. I am here with Scott St. Clair. Scott's one of our senior product coaches at MarketSmith. Now, Scott, there are a ton of publicly traded stocks just on the U.S. I think it's over 5,000 stocks. Who has the time to go through all these stocks and find the very best ones? Yeah, most people don't, right? So what you need is a tool like MarketSmith. We have decades of research on what makes a great winning stock. So we've done all the research for you. So we're going to try to highlight those specific stocks with those great data points. So if you're looking for that next great potential big winner, orange stock ideas button, you just click on it and you've got some of the main reports that we use, including the Growth 250. Yeah, and the Growth 250 is the first list that I go through on the weekends. Yeah, it's the most popular one, but there are others. There's the Breaking Out Today, Stocks Near a Pivot, and then the Blue Dot list, right, which is very popular. It's going to show you the stocks with the best relative strength. So we've done a lot of the work for you. What you have to do is review these lists. You're going to come up with some of the best ideas in that current market environment. Perfect. Mark Smith saves you time and makes investment research that much easier. For more information, go to Investors.com slash podcast 2020. Kareem Durhali is our guest on Investing with IBD, sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, Kareem, let's talk about your investor app. And so you were 35 years in Wall Street in this really exciting time, and you decided to walk away and now go really in a completely different direction towards education and really kind of giving normal people more insight on what's going on with the markets. Right. So look, what I, what I realized after the crisis, um, obviously beginning in 2008, 2009, and then 2010, mm -hmm. is all of those wonderful trends that we'd seen that driven, had driven wholesale financial markets so well, the deregulation and the increase in leverage, geographical expansion, product innovation, you know, increase in volumes. Not only had they stopped, but they'd gone into reverse. 
And you know, my expectation was that we were never going to see the rebirth or the resumption of those trends, certainly probably not in, not in my lifetime. At the same time, I realized that financial markets, the things, I mean, I, I just love financial markets. I've got a passion for financial markets. I think they're fantastic. They reflect everything that's going on in the world. And for me, this is almost a common good and they've become too much of an insider's game. Mm -hmm. And what I realized with the advent of the mobile phone, of cloud computing, and in particular, the realization I had around social media and the growth of social networks was here was a, here was a technology or a, or a group of technologies that were absolutely perfectly suited to the financial markets because financial markets, particularly today, you know, they're 24 seven, you need to be up to date all the time. Mobile phone was perfect. As we were chatting about earlier, financial markets are all about people. Social networks are all about people. So a mobile app, you know, with employing a social network was the perfect solution to driving inclusion uh, into the financial markets and exposing people uh, to to uh, to financial markets. And so that was that was the genesis of the of the idea of investor. And you know, the other you know, my other reflections on the whole information revolution, really starting in 1995. Uh, was kind of when I really became conscious of the public internet as a, as a technology was that whole revolution that started in, in 95 onwards for me was all about one thing. It was about individual empowerment it, because all of a sudden for the first time in thousands of years, information that had been to some extent monopolized by different power structures, governments, political parties, religions, universities, banks, companies, etc., was now being democratized and was now we, we'd moved from a world that was top down in terms of information to one that was actually bottom up in terms of information. I think that's a that's one of the most profound changes in in our human civilization that we that we've seen in thousands of years. And I realized that that was going to spark a revolution in financial services. I, I think we're barely in the foothills, by the way, of that revolution. But that revolution was all going to be about the empowerment of the individual in relation to financial services. And basically, you know, shorthand for that is self-directed investing was going to come to the fore. Mm. And so self-directed investing was going to be the big new trend in the world in one of the largest industries in the world, second largest industry after agriculture. And here was a technology, a group of technologies that lended themselves perfectly to the exploitation of that trend. And so, so it started, yeah, the, the information age where now you're empowering a lot of individual investors. And then obviously in 2012 and, and around that time, as you mentioned, the, the mobile age where now everyone has a super powerful computer right in the palm of their hands. They can stay in touch with social networking, uh, really starting to emerge. And then you have this large group, uh, the millennials, too, who, who are uh, much uh, really interested in all of those kind of aspects of getting information and also sharing it with each other. Right. So look, what we did, you know, right at the beginning is we went, you know, and surveyed several thousand, four or five thousand millennials across the U.S., across the U.K., in every geography, in every you know, sub age group. And we said to them, uh, we asked them a number of questions. One, do you invest? And the 90% said, no, we don't invest. And then we asked them, do you want to invest? And 90% of them said, yes, we do want to invest. And then we said, well, what's stopping you from investing? 
and the and the overwhelming answer was one and i'm kind of paraphrasing but lack of confidence mm -hmm. two was lack of knowledge and three was perception that you needed a lot of money to be an investor so perceived lack of wealth to qualify you as an investor and those were the three things that overwhelmingly came back as the problem i think the the thing i should mention is that not a single person said trading commissions are too high is the problem and so what the what the fintech industry has very successfully done in the last you know two or three years in particular is solve a problem that really never existed mm -hmm. uh, and uh, but you know that that aside and so my realization was the thing that is stopping people from investing was really a lack of confidence and a lack of knowledge and what that translated into was for me was education that yeah. we needed to use a mobile social network to help educate people to build sustainable financial capital we need to help people build their human capital when it came when it came to investing and so yeah, and, our and, and kareem and, and well another thing is also it can be overwhelming too i mean if you haven't been exposed to the the financial world or any finance uh, courses when, when you're growing up or going through college uh, it can be very intimidating and it's hard to get the motivation to get through that too right right so you're, you're absolutely right. I think the finance industry, which I was a part of for you know, 30 years, uh, did an excellent job basically putting up uh, you know, keep out signs and barbed wire all around to create an illusion of complexity mm. and to help justify the very high fees that were being charged uh, to manage other people's money. Um, you know, high fees, by the way, that are being charged by people who consistently underperform the market year in year out i mean the financial industry is a tax on the economic system and is a value destroyer uh and you know and that's uh, i mean that's a shocking thing to say but and so really for us it's you know yes it was too complex so the challenge is how do you show people that the finance industry is and in particular let's focus on investing actually that investing is really simple as a as a you know as an action is really really simple you, you buy something hopefully when the price is low and you sell it when the price is a bit higher right. i mean that's fundamentally what what investing is about so the, the transactional component of investing is really simple and what we realized is the best way of conveying both the excitement and the simplicity was through a game and that's one of the things that we started to develop so we've developed at investor an educational uh, platform that's really built on a number of you know really important pillars. The first of those is the game that we call fantasy finance, and what fantasy finance you know as you say, Arusha, it helps people understand that investing is fun, that it's simple, um, and it's and it also helps people to learn some of the basics of investing. That investing isn't about making dollars and cents; it's about generating a return on your capital consistently over time yeah. and that to do that you need to preserve your financial capital and the way to do that is to be diversified and the other thing you need to do is to preserve your emotional capital and the way to do that is to be uh, is not to over trade and you know the the interesting thing is that using mar leverage uh, or margin and using and trading options actually works in exactly the wrong uh, direction. I mean, it's the antithesis of good good investing because it destroys your financial capital and it destroys your emotional capital. 
Um, and so it's something that you know we're we're, we're quite strongly uh, opposed to. Yeah, and you but made so, that conscious decision not to have options in your app, right? You have commodities, stocks, uh, bitcoins in there, uh, yes. but uh, you, yeah, you don't have options in there. I, look, I think crypto has a very valid place to uh, in a in a portfolio. We've done some analytical studies to show the benefits of having crypto in a diversified portfolio. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're really quite they're quite staggering. So we think there is a place for crypto, but we don't think that uh, that you know margin and option trading are good investing techniques, particularly not for beginners. Right? If we're what we're trying to do is the most important thing is we need to get people in the game. And you get people in the game by, by showing it's fun and, and, and exciting and all those other things. And in our case, social as well, because the, the social community that we built, which facilitates the peer-to-peer learning, is just incredibly powerful. But the second challenge is not just getting people in the game. The second challenge is keeping people in the game. And because if you can stay in the game, if you can stay as a long-term investor, then you've got all these natural forces, population growth, a little bit of inflation, productivity growth, and then the magical you know, sprinkling power of compounding. All yeah. of those things are working in your favor. Yep. So if you can stay in the game, then you're riding a trend, you're riding a wave, and, and you know, other, everything else being equal, you should over time make money. And you look at the long-term returns uh, for investing in something like the U.S. stock market is about 10%, uh, 10% a year, you know, or thereabouts. So the key is to, is to be able to stay in the game, to get in the game, absolutely. But you've also got to stay in the game. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Right. And, and to, well, yeah. one thing, Kareem, is that especially for the younger people, and, and you have attracted, uh, the investor has attracted tons of young people, uh, and they're using your app. But one huge advantage that young people have is they're they're using some of the the new technology that is changing the world that people when they're older they might not necessarily understand. Yeah, it, look, you're absolutely right. We um, young people are obviously earlier adopters of technology, and so it's much easier for them to navigate their way around a mobile phone uh, and a mobile app. But actually, you know, we have an 80 odd percent of our users are, uh, and our members are millennials and, and Gen Z. But we have we have grandfathers and grandmothers and, and people and college professors. You know, we have older people on the app and, and they're, they're fantastic. And, you know, we love to have them there. Yeah. And actually having that balance, a little bit of that balance between people who have been around a little bit longer and have experience Combining with you know with you know some younger younger members, I think that's a fantastic combination because there's a lot that both both sides can learn. There's a really healthy exchange, uh, you know, that both sides can benefit from. And then also, uh, with, especially with a lot of the younger people, the the stock ideas that they're going to recognize, right? Because when, when I was on the app and, and taking a look at it, I saw you know pl- plenty of Tesla stuff <laughs> mentioned right. and a lot of these uh, newer kind of companies. Uh, yes. There and and that naturally is they, they see you know a younger person well a lot of people see it but younger people see Teslas and it's like you know it's so cool. Yes, look the um, you know I think the uh, you know we have a we have a you know one of our uh, members is actually a super wealthy uh, businessman and he's he uses our app uh, religiously uh, so much so that he has to hide from his wife when he's using it because you know, <laughs> he complains he's he's on it he's on it too much and he was saying to me 
that you know he would he started off by deploying all of the stocks and all of the things that you know he knows and he wasn't having much success and then he got involved in the community and he started listening to what you know some of our younger uh, members do and all of a sudden his fortunes turned around and he started making a lot of money and and you're absolutely right that that you know younger investors are much more attuned uh, to the excitement and the promise of a company uh, like a Tesla. And in January, when everyone was desperately trying to go short uh, Tesla and Wall Street, I think lost 10 or $11 billion being short. Yeah. Our community made 10% on average on Tesla, just on Tesla. And so you've almost seen, I think at some level, there's almost been a transfer of ownership. In the past, it used to be a divide between so-called smart investors and dumb investors, and dumb often right. meant retail. Right. And actually, there's now been, a, I think, a transfer of leadership in the market from uh, old to young. I mean, the people driving the markets, I mean, driving the rally that we've seen all the way up. You know, while, while Warren Buffett is sitting on his hands, the millennials and Gen Z are buying stocks like crazy because all yeah. of a sudden they, they see there's a 40% discount on Wall Street. They've never seen it in their lives before. Stuff is cheap. Everyone tells them you need to be a long-term investor. So they piled in and they, I think they were part of the reason that companies like Tesla have done so well, while the old guard have been quite, you know, quite resistant. Yeah, I, I mean that that is actually uh, really, really interesting. Uh, now, talk about also just uh, the importance of practicing. I, I, I think just you know, get, getting your, your your feet wet, but just practicing doing a bunch of trades before you actually start doing it for real. Look, it's, uh, you know, what we say is that learning to invest is like learning to play a sport or a musical instrument. You've got to get fit, which means you've got to, you know, read the news, follow the markets to see how they react, and then talk to people to understand why the markets reacted in, in that way. So that for us is how you get fit. And then you've got to practice. And, you know, the, what I say is you wouldn't want to go and play against Rafael Nadal for, you know, a million dollars. Uh, you know, unless you've practiced your serve and your volley and, and, and a few other, you know, ground strokes as well. So practicing is so important. And equally, you don't want to get on, you know, you don't want to start on Wall Street trading against all of these supercomputers and people who've, you know, ultra sophisticated trading strategies for money, you know, with your life savings without practicing. And what fantasy finance enables people to do is to practice in a real world environment, but in a totally safe way. And actually, you know, what we say to people, you know, complain that they're, oh, they're losing money and, they're, and it's not working. I say, you know, you can afford to lose money in a game because it doesn't cost you anything. And in fact, you'll learn a lot more from your mistakes than you'll ever learn from your successes. You know, when we, when we do something well, we think it's down to our natural brilliance and genius. When we, when we do something badly, it forces us to be a bit more introspective and to say, what did I do wrong? And so you learn from your mistakes. You want to learn from mistakes when it's not costing you real money. So having a safe, risk-free environment to practice in, like fantasy finance, we think is super important. Perfect. So making concepts fun and easy to learn can go a long way towards getting that motivation to learn something as complicated as the stock market. So definitely check out the Investor app. I think it's a great way to learn and compete with your friends. Thanks for joining us today, Kareem. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Coming up next, we are going to have Mike Webster, Head of Market Strategy at IBD, on the show. So stay tuned. 
Market Smith will give you a huge edge in the stock market. Better stocks, bigger profits. Market Smith is the top research platform for IBD. It's just the best tool for individual stock selection. Everything within Market Smith is designed to bring those best stocks to the surface. It does a lot of the work for you of filtering down to the potential leaders. It's when you take the training wheels off and you're ready to invest on a more professional level. Market Smith will help you take control of your investment life. If you want to get serious about investing, start your membership today. Welcome back to Investing with IBD, sponsored by MarketSmith. Now we have Mike Webster returning back to the show. Mike is the head of market strategy at IBD. And first, welcome, Mike. Are you Mike. sure it's you want to have me back? Are you sure you want me back? Isn't it supposed to be something? <laughs> I'm already <laughs> regretting it. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I no, feel no that way, there were like man. seven it's... people who canceled on you, but it's okay. <laughs> I, I'm down the list of the Rolodex, the old Rolodex. The millennials the, are, what's you a Rolodex? You're the closer. You're the closer. We bring the heavy hitter yes. uh, at the end. And so that, that's what you are, especially for these crazy markets. Uh, and it was... It wasn't a, a very fun day. Well, it was a fun half day on, on Monday, right? We were all happy. And then the last part of Monday was not so fun. Well, that's why we hate gap ups, you know, is because sometimes they end like that. And, and we talk about it on IBD Live. Every, every time there's a gap up, we're like, oh, God, no, not a gap up. Because, you know, every once in a while we get one of those. It was a bad day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let me pull up the markets and then we can take a look at it. And so I'm showing the the market Smith charts here and, and the yeah, the snapshot of the, the NASDAQ and uh, the market's closed right now and, and we are still July 15th. Yeah. And so, so, so what are you, what, what are you, well, we, okay. So here's <laughs> Monday, right? Mm -hmm. Where we had, we had the, the really, the really strong mic. Right there. So so gapped up higher, everything looking great, sells off, everything falls apart. Well, it's probably worth um, going to an interday chart, uh, just okay. a 60 minute, just for a second, just to, you know, to refresh everyone's memory. So we, we come into the week and, um, you know, and every time we come into the week, it's like, okay, it's, it's time for us to take a pause. Let, let's just go sideways. And it doesn't happen. The market just keeps going higher and higher. So we start off with this big gap up. And at that point, you can't really fight it. You can't say, oh, I think it's going to fade. You have to just roll with what the market is giving you and say, okay, now maybe this is an inflection point and we're going to start going higher, even though you have this in the back of your mind because, and you should, anytime you have a gap up, think, okay, what if, you know, if we fade here and start rolling, it's going to look a lot, a lot worse than just having a down day. Um, and so anyways, and you see the way, and that's why I wanted to do the interday chart. I mean, we uh, didn't come down gradually. Like it's nice to come down like a stair stepping down, but this is that elevator down. And, and the, the old saying of you take the stairs up and take the elevator down. And that's exactly what we had uh, happen there. And if you look at the distance between the 9663, if you can point to that, which was the last time we tested the 21 day, um, just a little bit, 9663.61. I you see not, it? Uh, no, I don't. It's over here. It's right, right there. Here. <laughs> it's okay. I, I'm like willing It's been a you. long day. Those are not the droids you want. Okay, yes. anyways. Um, so that was the last time we tested, and then we ripped up to the, yeah. the high on Monday. And so at that point, your expectation is that you can give back about half that distance. So that's what we call a 50% retracement, just standard, you know, 
um, way you look at charts. And that's pretty much what happened there with that low um, of the 10182. And now we're bouncing up from there. So let's go back to the daily now that we kind of have this mess in, in, our, in our head of what happened there. So when you get that type of washout, you know, you go way up and you come way down. The logical thing is to put some time in sideways. Now, that's been the logical since March 23rd to go sideways, but we've right. just been going pretty much straight up with these violent moves down. So, so far the character of the market hasn't changed. And you can tell that by every time it, it dips down and hits the 21 day, which on your charts is that, that you know, purplish pink um, line there. And it comes down, it'll undercut it or almost undercut it and then bounce up. And so that's what we're having now. But it does seem with that overhead from Monday that we should go sideways here. But there's a real disconnect between this chart, the NASDAQ, which is, you know, heavy into Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, you know, all those names versus the S&P 500, which is more broad based. And so let's look there. So and let's look at the weekly real quick. So this one, you can see it's, it's almost like a completely different market, you know, yeah. environment. We had the, we had the Corona bear market and we've come up and it, it's, you could look at this as a little flat base that it's formed or the way I'm looking at it is a cup with handle and we're in the handle area. So as we're breaking out right now, that, that's really constructive because when you break out of a base on a pattern um, on, on the indices, you can have a nice big move up the same way um, you do with stocks. It doesn't mean it's going to work out, but that's the setup. So let's go to the daily, which this is you know really encouraging. And it's really kind of just a rotation out of the, the big cap, mega cap tech stocks that have been leading this move and it's logical because you know you're still going to use microsoft and you're still going to use apple even if you're stuck at home versus you know so many of the other you know things like the the cruises and the anything travel related and there's yeah. so many you know even a lot of the restaurants and and things so you know, now we've moved up and, and the good thing about the S&P is now we have the, the 50 day, which is that red line has moved through the 200 day, which is the black line. And that's significant because a lot of, you know, big players and big algos will use that as, you know, a general is a gas on or is a gas not on, you know, are you, are you pressing down? And now that we're above that, it's, you know, referred to as a golden cross. That's a positive thing. And we're right at the high of that, that handle area. So to me, this looks like we're going to launch and go higher, which is kind of a disconnect with the NASDAQ because you look at the NASDAQ and it feels like it needs to pause. Right. So right. then you kind of look at a few other indices just to get a, a sense. So let's look at the IWM, which is the small cap, which is for the two, um, Russell 2000. And let's look at the weekly on this one because this has really been a dog for a long time. And you can see with that relative strength line, in fact, let's toggle over to the monthly um, for a sec. And you can see this is a dog. I mean, it never leads for any, you know, anything other than like a, a, maybe a month at a time. But it is finally, let's go back to the, the daily chart. So it's finally made it back above the 200 day. So that's significant and it tried it a month ago and, and it failed. And you, you can see when it failed, it, it like really failed and gapped down dramatically and so we need this to get over that one uh 153.39 which would be the handle mm -hmm. on this one you could see that it's kind of over the prior resistance area 
And the reason why I bring these up um, is because you just want a more broad-based um, bull market. You just don't want, you know, Amazon and, and, and Netflix and, and, you know, all the other ones to have to just lift everything. Now they can, there's nothing, you know, saying that, you know, the mega caps can't lead everything, but I think from a comfort level, you would, you would like these other ones to at least get up to old highs over the next, you know, several months, hopefully by the end of the year. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the broad-based rally is always uh, a much better rally because now everyone's making money and no one wants to leave the party uh, at that point. But uh, so it is interesting <clears throat> that you're seeing this potential rotation. Yeah. And as long as you have Powell, you know, doing exactly what he's doing, which is great. You know, he, he's he's got the punch bowl out there. He's got a bottle of Tito's. He's pouring it in there. He's getting he's getting everybody happy. Right. And as long as he doesn't run out, you know, so you right. need to make sure you go to Costco, load up, get him some Tito's, pour it in there, <laughs> keep everyone happy. But one day that that'll dry up and then we'll there'll be something to pay. But hopefully that's not for, for a long time because there's all this uncertainty out there. And the reason why he, he's, um, you know, being so loose and, and actually doing everything right is because, you know, for a few days, you know, the news flow is very positive and then all of a sudden something negative happens and he's smart enough to be aware that he needs to keep that spigot going and, and be loose and, and keep interest rates low um, because there is all that uncertainty um, out there and, and, you know, the, the travel, things are just not going to be back to normal for, for some time. No, it doesn't seem like it. Uh, now, but the, so the market still is officially in an uptrend. And so you, you got to respect that trend and, and manage your positions accordingly, right? So, so, yeah, so let's that's talk the bigger... back over to the NASDAQ one last for just one second, you know, for people, for what people should look for is, just that 21 day, as long as we're st still trending above that, this character hasn't changed. Now, at some point, we're going to have to test that and have an intermediate correction. And you want that to happen because during that time frame, stocks are going to form bases. And then the weak ones will just kind of, you know, start rolling over and not coming back. And the strong ones will form bases and then give you another opportunity. So when that happens, that's the time to do your homework. And so don't be afraid of it. Perfect. Okay, so let's go into some current stocks, Mike. And the first one that we have on the list is Intuitive Surgical, <clears throat> ticker symbol ISRG. And this one broke out a few today, it broke out. And, yeah. and next week, they're reporting earnings. So those are always fun. I, I love when stocks re, uh, break out right before earnings. It's fun. <laughs> It's like Isn't putting it? Tito's in a, a punch bowl. <laughs> it's just like, no, it's the, it is the absolute worst because then you have this big dilemma. It's like, do you buy it? You're not going to have enough time to get a big enough cushion. Right. So then you almost have to buy just a little bit of it. And then yeah. right before the earnings, you can decide, you know, hey, am I, how much am I up? And, and do I want to pair that back a little bit? Um, but let's go to the monthly on this one because this has been a monster for forever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when it came out, it, it was it, it came out at a bad time during the bear market. So I had to put a lot of time in. But in '03, that's where it really started its first model book run and had that massive move up there. And rather than falling apart that time, it just kind of had this constructive um, phase where it pulled down and then it had another run up. 
And you can completely forgive that, that fall in 07 to 09 because everything fell apart. And then, of course, in, in 16, 17, you have this other run. Now, the reason why we're always looking at these monthly charts is because that's what you want to see is that the stock has had the ability to be a leader at one point. If you pull up a chart and it's just been sideways or lagging the market forever, um, you know, why do you want to play? You know, in, in that playground, you'd rather go in it with something that's better merchandise. Um, so now let's look at the weekly real quick. <clears throat> and look at the, you know, the sales growth. It, it's decelerating a little bit, which is, you know, kind of understandable, um, you know, because what they do is they have these big giant um, surgical devices and it's kind of the old uh, razor and razor blade type of um, thing where you buy this million dollar device and then they sell you all the parts for it. And, 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 and the device is called the Da Vinci, <clears throat> right, Mike? The Da Vinci. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, now we we did a an IBD live show earlier this morning, right? So it's been a good day. You're gonna throw Mike me twice. under the bus. I can see. I can. But I you can. had a great T-shirt. Like, <laughs> you had a great T-shirt on. Yes, but Da Vinci, I, uh, right? And you, the, and you proudly showed it on IBD live, saying, "Hey, look, this is inspiration." Stock breaking out. I'm wearing my. Dimension. Well, look, it was the dude from the Big Lebowski, and it was a combination with the um, with the Da Vinci, you know, whole thing going on. I was so happy because I saw ISRG breaking out. I'm like, I got to put this shirt on, and then of course, you know, I had some lunch, and you know, I spilled a little bit, so <laughs> I had to put a different Grateful Dead shirt on. So, thank you. Now, for did you switch? You, you changed during the IBD Live. No, or, dude, or, or. <laughs> like an hour ago. No, no, no. But when so you had you wore the the Da Vinci no, I had shirt. It on, yeah, because I saw that it was. Oh, you saw it was, it was gonna break. Yeah, okay. it was gonna break out, and I was. Oh, it was, it was so I'm like, I got the things that make me happy. I don't know. So, anyways, you make us all happy. <laughs> so, looking at this, you know, this is not a perfect stock. So let's let's look at the the flaws in it, and that's what you want to do whenever you look at a chart. You want to look at the weekly, look at all the fundamental data. Lots of good things and some bad things. So the estimates for uh, 2020 are horrible at a minus 32. You're going to see that with a ton of stocks because, you know, especially with this product, think about it, it's a, for elective surgeries or surgeries that, you know, you can kind of put off um, a, a lot of times. So, um, you know, the hospitals are saying, hey, look, you know, hold off on, on those surgeries, you know, for a few months. And so it's, it's hurting them. So what you really want to see is that it has strong estimates going forward, and it really does for, for next year, you know, at 48%. That's solid. Um, so this is just kind of a temporary thing. It's almost like you, you're living in on the East Coast and, a, you know, a hurricane is coming through. Everything is shut down, but then it goes back to normal. Um, and then if you look at the sale or the earnings in the bottom, uh, the problem is it's not super stable on a quarterly basis. You've got some 38 and then two and then 14 and seven. Right. So that's a, a little bit of a minor defect. So when you're rating this stock, you're not giving it an A because it has some flaws. So you bring it down to a B, but the fact that we, we had it uh, on the monthly and it had such a great um, past, you know, you're still keeping it at a B. Whereas if this had been dogging it for a while, um, you'd probably put it down to a C. And we always like to rate our stocks that we're trading. So now let's look at the daily chart. Um, and so it, it does look a little bit wide and loose. 
um, here, even in the context of, of what a lot of charts look like with a general market. But think about it. Once, if this stock were to make it up to 700 or 800, that base is going to get compressed and it's gonna, not going to look as bad. So this handle area is constructive in that it was able to um, come down and settle right at the 200 day. So when you're looking at bases, you want to say, you know, is it settling in at logical areas where, um, you know, the big guys and girls would go in there and support it? And this one did. It, it, it um, stopped right there at the 200 and the, the 50 came through it. So it did exactly what you'd think. Yesterday it had um, its nice upside reversal, giving you the expectation that this was going to happen today. And then you broke out. You had decent volume. You went over your standard pivot at the 6 and 121. So you could have been buying it today. But like you said, you know, the earnings are, you know, around the corner. So you have to be careful with it. Yep. Six days. So you want to keep an eye on it. Maybe you have a small position going into earnings. You know, that that's up to everyone uh, there. But uh, something to keep an eye on. And obviously, <clears throat> we are in earnings season. So just giving that that little PSA to everybody. Make sure you know when your stocks are reporting earnings and also if you're considering some of these stocks, make sure you know when they're reporting earnings too. We'll probably have a much better idea of what's going to, what the environment's going to be like over the next few weeks once we, uh, hopefully we can survive earnings. And um, next, next time you bring me on, if you bring me back on, uh, because you know, if someone, like, if. if someone cancels, you know, um, <laughs> I will wear my Da Vinci, the dude shirt. If you say the dude, uh, I don't know if that's enticing enough to, to bring you back. <laughs> what else you got? <laughs> I'll, buy, I'll buy you a beer. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what you can maybe do. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe buy me a burrito from Chipotle. Oh, nice segue. Yeah. Okay. So, so second stock Chipotle symbol is CMG. And what time frame might would you like? Yeah. Let's start at the monthly on this one. And you gotta love this stock because it had back in '09. You, everyone should go back and study the bases in there. And it probably had the most beautiful cup with handle base. That's true. Um, that I've ever That's seen. True. Like even, yeah. you know, the second best would probably be Chrysler in, in, the, in the early 60s, um, right after the Cuban Missile Crisis. And this would be second of all the bases I've ever seen. It, it looked know? too good to be true. That, and that's what, <clears throat> I mean, I bought it out of the breakout like everyone else, but kind of so it was just like this cannot work it is just picture perfect because on the follow through day the stock broke out it was the one stock massive break i was like this can't work and it worked just like the book yeah it, it was it was one of the exactly whenever you see one of those things that it looks that good you're like no they're just they're fooling. They're fooling yeah, with exactly. us. That can't be. That can't really be the cup with handle. But it was a cup with handle with a double bottom within it. Yep. And go yep. back and, and and study it. And and, and it's a, a it's a beautiful thing. And September first, twenty ten. There that you go. The, the, and and so you had that huge move. And then they did missteps, just like um, you know what happened with Netflix at, yeah. at one point when they had their pricing issues. And so. Companies make mistakes just like we make mistakes. I mean, you don't make mistakes. I make mistakes, but you know, it, I, I, it, all I do is make mistakes. All you do by having me on is that no, one? No, that's the <laughs> one of the few <laughs> non mistakes. Oh, there you go. So look, it was able, and, and that was really where, you know, it was getting people sick. And I was one of those people, but I've forgiven them. It's okay. They, they haven't even given me a free burrito. I've asked. It's fine. Um, I was on a I cruise. think I've only had one, maybe one or two, I've gone one or two two times since that 
Since a year really? and a half ago. And I used to go every day. We would run into yeah, each other yeah, at Chipotle, well, would, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's pretty amazing. So I just got out of it and then it was just hard to get back in. Well, so it's interesting because one of the things that they did that was so smart is they would give out free burrito um, coupons to try to get people to come back. And so companies can do either silly things and just say, okay, we we can't risk. We've already lost so much revenue. We can't lose more by doing some big promotion. But they were smart enough saying, hey, we used to be a habit for people, but because this this incident happened yeah. they stopped coming they yeah. wanted those people back and, and and so they gave out tons of of you know freebies to get people back into that routine of, of going there on a regular basis now let's go to the the weekly on this one um they've really done a good job in my opinion with the whole coronavirus of making it where it, if you want it, it's a kind of a touchless experience where you can order it on your phone order it on your app just walk in, pick up your your um, your food, and not not even um, you talk to anyone. Really, you just see your name there, you pick it up, and and you go. And and so they, they've done a great job with that. And you see a lot of millennials and and um, Gen what is it Gen Z's? Z Z yeah Z, yeah you know um, the the they're in there as well as as the old folks like us. So um, from a business standpoint, that's really solid. Now, looking at the fundamentals, we have that similar situation with the earnings estimates, but it's even more, um, you know, dramatic than the ISRG with the estimates for next year, that that massive recovery. And so that's what you really want to be seeing is what are the analysts thinking out next year? Forget about this year. This year is is dead but for 2021 and one 2022 starts showing up there and 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 that's at least what people are expecting we don't know how that's going to play out so the the earnings have kind of fallen off a cliff last um last quarter where you know negative normally we wouldn't even consider a stock like that but this is a unique situation and and what's nice about it on the weekly chart is you know, it started falling apart during the um, the bear market, but that bottom week had that huge spread closing yeah. at the top. And, and yep. that's a massive sign by the big institutions saying, hey, okay, enough is enough. You know, I want this stock and, and, and I'm going to support it. And then they, they pushed it up. And since then, it's been a rocket ship um, yeah, straight up, amazing. right? Yeah. And, and yeah, that really strong move up and it's formed a beautiful flat base broke out of it last week it's acting really really well uh and they're reporting earnings in seven days so if they can survive that you know this might be one of those stocks that just continues to crawl up and it's a it's a nice one to have in your portfolio exactly i think we have another we have another and it probably shouldn't be a surprise to most who've been watching IBD live or watching us on, on our po- uh, on when you're on the podcast with me, Mike, it is. What stock is this? <laughs> it is our favorite That's Tesla. Right. Huh? I've never seen this one before. <laughs> um, look, before this is our last five minutes. You haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. But this, this is our favorite stock. Both of yep. It's my favorite stock. My biggest position, probably yep. same with you. Yep. Yeah. So look, this is not the this is not in position. It, it, it's way extended. We have earnings, you know, around the corner, just like every other uh, company out there uh, for the most part. But you know, th- this is one that you know. There's a lot of talk on. You know, is this a climax top or, or isn't it? Now, 
You never know until after the fact, but what you, what you do is you use history as your guide um, to try to give you uh, information on, you know, uh, is it or isn't it or is it more likely to be? And so my opinion is that it's not. And the reason being is it's too soon out of this uh, recent base. So we, we had a, the move last year, right? And, and it was right. sort of running up, had that, you know, it was by far the leader in the market. And it had climaxed action on that that top week. And Mm -hmm. that was clear that it needed to pause um, there for a while. And I unfortunately was trying to wait for it to, um, you know, do some other stuff before I sold it. So, you know, one thing that talking with Chris Gessel of of IBD Live and, you know, he's pretty much one of the kings of of IBD, um, he started talking about, you know, it, when you're in a situation like that of of actually hedging your um, your position by buying some puts, which is something that Bill O'Neill was never a fan of, he would just say, "You either you know raise cash uh, by selling some, or you don't don't play both sides." And it was very eye opening, you know, of uh, Chris's take on that. Is when you're in a position like that, if you're um, trying to wait for it to you know decisively break the ten week. Why not just buy some puts? So in a situation like that, you could do that. You could do the same thing up here. Um, you know, if you wanted to, if you weren't sure, you could you could be buying some puts just to to hedge your. I mean, it's only forty six point eight percent above the ten week, like right. Now. <laughs> yeah, so it's way up there. So yeah. and you're going into earnings. So if you've got yeah. a big cushion, you want to um, protect it. You could certainly do that. Now the options aren't the cheapest things in the world. The implied ball is off the off the charts, but. Um, Let's go back in history because lots of times you use other stocks for um, to give you a guide. But um, let's go back and see what this stock did before. Let's do a change date to 5 7 2013, May 7th, 2013. <clears throat> okay, so this was in, let's go to a weekly just so everybody, and I know most people probably listen to your podcast while they're working out or doing something really cool or driving um you know or when i'm on trying to sleep it's like oh i'm, I'm having trouble sleeping let's put the webster podcast on. um so with with this um whenever i'm on you probably want to actually watch it so you can watch the charts and and, and go That's through them. Um, investors.com slash podcast Yes. Um, and so this one was soon out of the uh, out of that basing area, kind of like what we're uh, in the same position where we are now. Mm-hmm. And that's climax action, but it's not a climax top. So climax action is when you get that parabolic type of move, but it's early into the, your base. Climax top is when it happens after you've been running for a long time. And Bill would always say at least 18 weeks out of, you know, out of your recent base, unless it's a late stage base. And we're too soon for that. So let's go to the daily on this. And you can really see that <clears throat> has a lot of similarities to what we're going through right now, right? Really yeah. extended. You yeah. have this big spread closing at the, you know, closing at the bottom. You assume this stock is done for, you know, a while. Now let's go out a, a, a week. Let's go out um, to 514, 2013. Wow. And look what happened. So you have this. The, the other, other week move. looks tiny. The other day <laughs> looks tiny. Yeah. And so that's what I was talking about with the ISRG, how it looked so yeah. um, uncompressed. And then yes. when you go out, yep. it compresses the chart, makes it look tighter. So yep. um, with this, 
what seemed high wasn't. And so you've got to say, you know, what could I use to keep me in a stock like that? And what you can do is use that 21 day. And if you haven't broken the 21 day, you're trying to sit on your hands. Now, if you've gotten carried away and you're up to your eyeballs in stock and it's up there like this, you can take some off the table, but right. you know, you want to keep some, you want to keep a core position because this is still, let's toggle back to the weekly. This is still early in that move. This is not late in that move. Um, now let's go out just a little bit more. We have two more dates, 523, and we'll go to a daily. All right, so wow. at this point, you, you've come down, you just bounce off your, your, your 10 day, which, um, and you have this big outside day, meaning your, your spread is bigger than your prior day. In fact, your prior couple days, and so now your expectation is, hey, we're, you know, we're off to the races at this point. And it almost is in the vein of a high tide flag. It, it isn't exactly a high tide flag uh, because it isn't long enough there, the, the flag portion. But you have that feeling like it's moved yeah, up. for sure. Now it's yeah. gone sideways. And your, your eye is really on that 21 day. So let's go out pretty much to the top. We'll go out to November 6, 2014, just in the interest of time. November 6, 2014. All right. Okay, so this is after it's, or maybe it should have been 2013. I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong, wrong date. Okay, so this is after that bulk of that move yep. is done. And you can see that during that time, it only tested the 21 day one time and that where it went right. down. This is yeah. the Goldman Sachs. I think that's that was the was that the Goldman Sachs where they downgraded it? Probably they're they're yeah. so they're so they're so good. I have so much faith in their work. Um, so, anyways, that's yeah. I mean, they 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 nearly killed me because I had a big position at that, and then it dropped like fifteen percent in like yeah. one day. And I and I, I think I did friends. pass out for a while. Yes, exactly. Yeah. We love analysts. Um, so anyways, it had that horrible couple days and you would have had to have sold some, right? You, yeah, you can't yeah, just go down, you, you can't yeah. go down with the ship because that's how they look before they go down to $50, you know? So you can't, exactly. um, and, and Bill did that with Qualcomm back in 98, 99. There was a time where it came down hard. I don't know if it was a downgrade or not. And then it gapped up. And, you know, I'd heard, I wasn't working with them at the time. That, that started in, in late, late 99, early 2000. And I'd heard through the grapevine, he was really upset, but he went in and on the gap up, just loaded back up because it was a game changer. And that's the same thing that you want to do here. Be flexible. Don't yep. care that you just sold a bunch the day before. Yep. And you had to do that. Then you have to go back in and you buy it. And it held the 21 day until the top, a couple of days off the top. Then you started breaking below it. That's your character change. That's where you're, you're looking out. And then it wasn't the same um, from then on, really. It was a, a I think this is where stock. I finally closed out the position. Or maybe, Good for you, yeah. man. Good for you. Uh, that, that was... So let's go to the current. Now that we, everyone has this in mind, let's go to the current uh, chart. And you should really go back and do this and go through you know, even every other day or every few days stop on it. So now you look at this and you go, wow, I have this picture in my head that this could go a lot higher. What everyone thinks is so high at, at 1500 could just be a little small blip along the way or not. 
We don't right. know. Anything but can happen. It, right. you, you at least have that in your mind as a possibility. Mm -hmm. So with me, um, you know, how I've been treating this lately is right before we, we went through um, a thousand, when you're in a stock a lot, you can get a kind of a, a sense of a rhythm of the stock. And it felt like um, it was going to just launch at that point. And you just yeah. put enough of the pieces together that it held in tight and was relatively tight. Uh, and I think we were talking about this on IBD Live too, that the time frame is a volatile stock, but mm -hmm. it was holding in tighter than most other right. uh, other stocks, you know, of, of the crazy, you know, high growth stocks. And then it's set up and there are times where you just got to put a bunch of chips out, you know, and you don't do it very often because you can get burned. But I said, if it goes below the low of that day, the um, if you can point to it the day before it go, went through a thousand, the, the blue day, yeah. yeah. Um, that day, on the yeah. 29th, right? Yeah, on that yeah. day. Um, mm -hmm. So as it was approaching, put a bunch yeah. of chips out there in a well big done. way. And then, but on Monday, as it, uh, let's go to the um, intraday real quick. When you had a gap up like that, that then faded. Yeah. Once that started filling that gap, I had to start lightening up because at right. that point, then you have massive amount of risk that it could do what it did in 2013, where yeah. it could have come into 1,200. Mm -hmm. or even lower. And so you've got, if you're going to do one of those moves where you put a bunch of chips out there, you've got to be, you've got to be smart enough to, you know, pull them, uh, pull them off. So I started putting a few back today, but really it's back down to a manageable position um, because we got earnings around the corner. And even though, yep. even though I think the stock could go a lot higher, um, you know, and I think the floor is really that, that 21 day look mm -hmm. at where is that 21 day at? It's a long it ways down, uh, 23.9%. <clears throat> yeah. So that's a lot to give up. So yeah. that's why a lot of those chips have come back off. Yeah. So it, this is a very controversial stock and people either love it or hate it. And they either think Elon Musk is the brightest guy who's ever lived. Like I do. And I think you, you at yeah. least think he's super Almond smart yep. or you've got, the ends of the world <laughs> think a little differently uh, we gotta have ed on with we, us. we do we have to have we'll have to have a showdown uh, yeah. but of course the showdown is every day almost and on ibd live so yeah uh but those are always should very, we bring out the boxing gloves that you and i did at one time <laughs> yeah i i think so for for you and ed I, I think that would be a a great great thing yeah well, thanks for having me, bud. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no, yeah. And and so there are a few ideas that are worth adding to your watch list. And Mike, yeah, once again, thanks for joining us for the third segment. That's it, man. I'm not going <laughs> to say anything else. I'm not going to ram. Do you want to talk? I was stunned there that you didn't <laughs> say anything. <laughs> hey, I can't wait to be back. And then at that point, we'll talk about the beautiful artwork that my, my daughter uh, painted for me behind me, you know. Very, awesome. very, very happy with that stuff. So thanks. Thanks again, bud. Be careful out there. Yeah. Uh, and also thanks once again to Kareem Darhali for joining us on the first two segments. Next week, we are going to have Andrew Chanin on the show. And Andrew is the co-founder of Procure AM. And we're going to talk about their out-of-the-world ETF that's centered around space and has a ticker symbol of UFO. Uh, that so is that's cool. It. Are Isn't you serious? Cool? UFO? That, yeah. And he is, a, yeah, he is a really cool guy. So you definitely want to, uh, he's done a lot of things. He's a young guy and he's done, he, you know what? He actually, I'll give you a little tidbit here, Mike. He actually was the one who created Hack, 
you know. No the, way. So That's the coolest like right symbol. Yeah. The, he and, needs to do like an Area really well. 51 somehow. I, That's you know. a good idea, too. We'll, we'll have to suggest that next week. So that's yeah. it for this week on Investing with IBD. And I'm Arusha Paris, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.